I was looking at quotes about success the other day, and it was really interesting how varied this particular subject is, but how many also mention failure and how many mention different requirements needed to succeed. But I thought this was interesting. Kevin Spacey said, success is like death. The more successful you become, the higher the houses in the hills get and the higher the fences get. Success is something he says that isolates us, separates us from the things that really matter, community, relationships. Not a common perspective, but interesting as we are talking today about the kind of success that we chase after. Welcome, I'm Michelle Berkey, and this is Praying Scripture, a weekday broadcast where we use God's own words to honor Him and to talk to Him about the things going on in our life and in our world. We are in episode 210 today. We're going to talk about the differences between how the world and how God defines success. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about life and a little bit about prayer. I mentioned a few weeks ago that my 16-year-old got his first job, and so far it's been a good experience. He has a friend that works there, and last week another friend started working there. And to celebrate her joining the team, they were going to go out to Sonic after work and then come home. Now, their shift ended at 9.30 in the evening, and I got a message uh, somewhat before 10 that his friend's car wouldn't start, and could I possibly come and get them? Of course. They work 25 minutes away, and I think that we were there in less than 30 minutes. I would not say that it's a bad part of town where their store is, but the next morning the catalytic converter from their car had been stolen. So I didn't want them hanging out there in that parking lot any longer than that was necessary at that time of night. So I didn't really ask a lot of questions like, where are your parents or where do I or do I need to take the other kids home? I just got in the car and responded. He had said that they had tried everything that they knew of to get the car started and they were out of options. And so I got on my way. When we got there, I was really happy to see that a manager had stayed with the kids until we got there and everything was fine. So we swung by Sonic. We took the kids home. It was a later night than we expected. But as my son was apologizing again the next morning and thanking me for coming so quickly, I said, that's what family does. And I appreciated his gratitude. I was thinking about this, about that conversation after. I certainly would have jumped in my car and gone if I had not expected there. It wasn't about the gratitude. And I was thinking also about how God moves in everyday ways in our lives, how gratitude really does matter. Like I said, I would have gone to get the kids without thinking about the gratitude that they were going to share. But they did express appreciation. All of the kids thanked us multiple times. And while I wasn't necessarily doing it for the gratitude, the gratitude showed something about their hearts. And we often think about gratitude as being this nice extra, but it's more than that. First Thessalonians 5.18, Paul writes, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And threaded throughout Scripture is a call for us to have thankful hearts, no matter what's going on. Our family is going through some tough things right now, and it was a really good reminder to me that thankfulness is critically important. Maybe that reminds you this week, something that you're going through that 
approaching it with a heart of gratitude is important. God moves so many times in our everyday lives, and we need to recognize that in response to Him. All right, so talking about prayer this morning, we've been talking about postures, how our body can communicate in prayer. And we've talked about our hands hands being raised and hands being folded. We've talked about kneeling, and these are things that you might or might not do regularly in your private and public practice, but they're probably somewhat familiar. Today, we're going to talk about something a little less familiar, probably, lying down. The official term is lying prostate. Oh, I can't believe I just said prostate. (laughs) Lying prostrate before God. We've talked about how kneeling is an indication of submission, but The ultimately most vulnerable position in front of someone is lying down in front of them. The term lying down or prostrate before God is used 256 times in the Bible. I'm sorry, laying down or prostrated, 256 times in the Bible. According to Arthur Bennett, bless it. Wow, it's going to be one of those days. (laughs) According to Arthur, bless it. Most of these mentions are times when one prostates himself or herself before a king or someone of great importance. This was the common way of respect and to honor someone. People were very familiar with this word and position in Bible times. And 131 of those times, laying face down or prostrate was mentioned in relationship to prayer or to speaking with God. It was a really common reference in scripture when talking about prayer. So here are a few of those instances. First Chronicles 21, 16 and 17 says, when David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem, David and the elders covered in sackcloth fell face down. David said to God, wasn't I the one who gave the order to count the people? I am the one who has sinned and acted very wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Lord, my God, please let your hand be against me and against my father's family, but don't let the plague be against your people. David, in a time of emotional and national crisis, fell face down before God, begging for his people. In Deuteronomy 9.18 says, and this is Moses speaking, this was after uh, he had brought the, uh, well, I'll just read it. Deuteronomy 9.18, I fell face down like the first time in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat food or drink water because of the sin that you committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and angering him. He was talking to the people of Israel after they had worshipped an idol. Matthew 26.39 says, this is Jesus going a little further. He fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Three instances, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Now, the author I mentioned earlier, uh, Arthur Blessett, mentions a number of reasons that we no longer practice this in Western churches. Buildings weren't designed for it. We don't have room for everybody to lay down. We might be a little bit lazy. We aren't used to or taught about this posture. The idea that our position in space doesn't matter is kind of prevalent. And lastly, pride. Putting our faces in the floor isn't culturally familiar to us and is incredibly humbling. Blessed uses this posture several times a day, and I am not suggesting that you do that, but... Consider trying it and adding it to your repertoire of physical expression. 
All right, let's get started with the actual prayer portion this morning. We are going to begin in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, and it says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So we're going to use that passage for our worship this morning. So join me in prayer. Father, we come to you as one who is eternal, whose blood is ultimately precious. Jesus, you were a sinless, spotless sacrifice for us, and we worship you this morning for being that, for being supremely precious. And as we begin to think about things having to do with um, success, as we're working through the passages having to deal with success this morning, I want us just to have that in the front of our minds and that we are, we are putting it here that you are precious, eternal, sinless. Jesus, that you are the spotless Lamb of God and that you offered yourself for us when we did not deserve it. As we begin to walk into this a topic more deeply, and we begin to think about the kind of definition of success I want you to speak to us today. We are here offering you this time out of our day, whether others are joining me live or whether they're watching the replay, we give this time to you as an offering, and we offer ourselves as learners, as listening, as we want to hear from you, and uh, we want you to teach us. Spirit, lead us in this time guide my heart and my mouth as as I work through these passages and lead these people in prayer. Thank you for this opportunity in Jesus name. Amen. So, we are talking about success this month. As we think about specific words when when I begin a a topic, a new topic or a new yeah, especially on the topical ones, but sometimes even when we're praying through a book uh, consecutively or in order of verses, whatever that right word is, I will often look up that word in a regular dictionary so that I'm sure I understand exactly what the meaning of the word is. According to dictionary.com, the first two definitions of the word success are as follows. First, the accomplishments of one's goals. Second, the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. So when we think about success in our culture, it is literally defined by the accumulation of things like wealth and power and honors. And we all grow up with this understanding that our goal is in life to be successful and obtain those things like wealth and power and honors, that the valuable people in a society are the successful ones. But when we become a Christ follower, our goals change. Instead of the world's definition of success, we ask God how he defines success, and we are to adopt his definition. But we have been indoctrinated with cultural goals since we were children. Even small children know whose families are successful and who children are successful and who is not successful. Whether that's a classroom definition of success or a culture's definition, we easily divide along lines of those who are successful and those who are not successful. And we ascribe value based on those divisions. 
So while it's simple to understand that our model of success needs to change, it is much more difficult to weed out that cultural definition and values and plant and grow God's perspective. So that's what we're praying about today. And we're going to use the parable of the rich fool, which is the title of that section from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. And this is in Luke 12. And it's a longer passage. It's 12, 13 through 21. It's kind of a longer passage, but it's the only one we're doing today. So I'm going to read you the whole passage. And then we're going to pray through three different perspectives of success. The world's perspective, God's perspective, and our own perspective. So here's what scripture said. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who has made me a judge over you to decide such a thing as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every type of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, it is so easy to fall victim to, or maybe even not fall victim, but to live in the place that our culture teaches us about success, to live in the idea that accumulating wealth or security or happiness or pleasure or um, what were the other things that I listed from the definition? Honors? influence, that these are the things that bring success. Our culture values people who have those things. But you say in this passage, life is not measured by how much we own. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So I ask you to weed out those things in our lives that are still vestiges of that cultural definition that we would begin to see the ways that we have fallen victim to that culture, that we have not turned away from that way and embraced your way. It's easy to say, harder to live out. So help us learn to recognize those times and those places in our lives when we are pursuing a culture's definition of success. Instead, when you've weeded that out, plant and grow in us your definition of success. Teach us the practices and the perspectives and the behaviors that will help us grow that in our lives. When we understand the difference, when we see the world and and your perspective, teach us to follow yours. Turn us away from the world and towards yours. It's help us to see the small ways. I think I'm repeating myself now. (laughs) Help us see the ways that we are ascribing to a world's perspective and grow in us your perspective. Maybe it's simply that easy today, that simple a prayer. Lead us in that, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining me in prayer today. And if you're watching the broadcast here on live or in replay on the Facebook page, thanks for being with me here. I will be back next Monday and we'll continue this series. Um, You can also watch for evening posts 
today's will be so different from the podcast. I'm following up uh, last week's uh, lack of posts at the end of the week, and we'll be talking about prosperity gospel this afternoon or this evening. If you are here with us on the podcast, come join us on the Facebook page, but thank you for listening in that audio version. We are brought to you by Grace on the Gravel Road, and my heart is that as we do this, as we pray together, that we would grow in our prayer lives and that God would use this time to direct your heart in your circumstances as he directs mine in my life. But most of all, I pray that you will fall deeper in love with the God whose words that we are using to pray. Amen. Amen.